following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Christian Life Austin. We bring joy to your house today. What an honor it is to preach the gospel of the resurrected Savior on Resurrection Sunday. We're not talking history classes here today. We're talking here and now. He is still risen. He's alive and well. And he's got the world in his hand. And he's got you in his mind. And he's got you in his heart. And he loves us all. And so on this day, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anytime you want to get up off of your couch and clap your hands and point at the screen and say, Preach, Pastor, it's all right. Because I promise you, this is the fifth Sunday we've done this, and I promise you, I can, I can feel some of that coming back from you because there's an anointing of God here, but there's also a people anointing coming from your house and your home. Have a blessed day. I'm speaking today on it's Resurrection Day. It's Resurrection Day. Now, that's kind of a, 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 a loose title, but I want to talk about that right now. Special effects in movies is Hollywood's gold star. Many times we leave theaters saying, wow, how did they do that? Any James Bond fans in your house? I'm one. I've got all of his old movies at home. And the biggest stunt explosion in movie history was the 24th Bond movie, Spectre. It's listed in Guinness Book of World Records, and it was an impressive scene. It took 2,000 gallons of kerosene 300 detonators, 24 explosive devices, and a mountain of dust and debris to fake this spectacular explosion. It's sad, though, that the Guinness Book of World Records wasn't around on Jesus' day on that resurrection morning because there's no Hollywood special effects, no FX that can match the earth shaking, mind-altering, tomb-opening visit from an angel on Easter morning. The shockwaves of joy from that morning are still being felt all over the world. Aftershock, after aftershock. In fact, I put it on the screen, it's the most joyful event in the history of humanity, period. No event like it. I love to read Pastor, British Pastor Charles Spurgeon He pastored a very proper church in London, to say the least, in the 1800s. He was known, though, for his sense of humor. And sometimes in the middle of preaching, Spurgeon, Pastor Spurgeon, would just roar with laughter. Just stop and break down in a hilarious laughter. And some members of this very proper British congregation got upset about it. And one day, a few men pulled him aside and confronted him about his outburst of laughter, telling him he needs to quiet it down. And Pastor Spurgeon replied, Oh, gentlemen, if you only knew how much I held back, you would commend me, not confront me. I may get a little Charles Spurgeon on me today. It's very difficult to speak on resurrection without experiencing joy. So last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and we preached about Hosanna, the triumphant entry, and the palm branches and the clothes they laid at his feet. And we talked about the people shouted Hosanna to him, which means save us, 
or bring us salvation. And the crowd shouted it to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. But their hosannas turned quickly into hatred, into hostility. By Friday, Jesus heard the shouts of crucify him, crucify him, as he carried his cross up the hill to Golgotha. But on this resurrection Sunday, two days after Good Friday, we shout hallelujah. We shout hallelujah. In fact, this word, because of the Lent season, this word is not mentioned in many denominational churches between Ash Wednesday and Resurrection Sunday because it's a word they say for this day. But hallelujah simply means praise you, Lord. We're going to give you praise today. I think you ought to say it with me at home where you are and in your car, wherever you are. Say hallelujah. Say it again, hallelujah. Say it one more time, hallelujah. Hallelujah is the ultimate Easter word. Hallelujah. It's the only word that is around the world the same language, hallelujah. But it was probably the last word the women were thinking as they headed to Jesus' tomb to anoint the broken body of Jesus Christ that first Easter morning. But the Bible says in Matthew 28, and I chose this passage for a reason, and I'll tell you about that in a little while. It said, after the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord had come down from heaven and rolled back the stone and set on it. Uh, that makes me tickle, set on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were afraid. They shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then he said, he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. You know, the stone wasn't rolled away, folks, for the Lord to get out. You know that, don't you? The stone was rolled away so we could look in. Jesus didn't need somebody to roll a stone away from him to get out of the tomb because a few moments later, a few hours later, he walked through a, a wall. He walked through locked doors to meet with his disciples who were hiding in fear. But he wanted us to know that I am not here any longer. And he left behind some grave clothes that said, I won't need these anymore. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy to tell his disciples. But you know what? They met Jesus first. I love this. They met him first and they fell down and worshiped him. And Jesus said, what's this? Do not be afraid. Same words the angel said. Go and tell my brothers, not disciples, but my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now I want to talk just a moment about this. Just leave a quick little quip here for you. A lot of people have talked to angels and spoken to angels and angels have visited you and, and I'm, very, I'm very kind with that. I love that because I believe there are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation but I will tell you this, the word of Jesus will always validate the word of an angel. If you can't validate what the angel has told you by the book, the written word, or by the voice of God, the spoken word, 
then you might ought to switch angels in your life. Just a little side note. So many stories in the Bible are about people waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting to hear his voice, waiting to get his provisions and receive them, waiting for guidance for him and waiting for the will of God in, our, in my life. And what is interesting is that the resurrection is one story in the Bible where God waits for us. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for your response. He's waiting for your praise. He's waiting, waiting for your hallelujah. He's waiting for your life to be given to him. I wonder what the angel thought of when he was waiting for the women to arrive. One thing we do know, he wasn't practicing what he was going to say to the women. He read the cue card from heaven just right. Jesus repeated the same expression to the women when they met him. You know, I read recently that some very famous actors in the past and in the present use cue cards or assistance off stage to feed them their lines through hidden earpieces. Actor Johnny Depp, one of the great actors of our time, when he did the Pirates movie as Jack Sparrow, he had all this stuff going on. He had in-ears. He had cue cards everywhere. Marlon Brando taped cue cards all over the set of his films and even asked his fellow actors to hold cue cards up for him when they wasn't on the set. And when Tom Cruise was filming the movie Days of Thunder, a race car movie, the scriptwriter changed the script on an almost daily basis. This is funny. So Cruise taped pages of the script to the dashboard of his race car because he does his own stunt, you know. He brags about that. And unfortunately, he was so busy reading while he was driving that he crashed the car. Smart move, Tom. Smart move. You might need a stunt man in that race car, my friend. Angels may have difficult jobs, but memorizing their lines should be easy. The one line they speak over and over and over again is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I chose Matthew 28 because of this passage. Do not be afraid. For we are living in fearful times in this Easter season. For the last 30 or so days, we have been locked in. We have been isolated. We have been quarantined. We have been warned not to get out even this weekend on Easter weekend. And these are fearful times. There were some times, there are troublesome times, this coronavirus and all the things that's happening, they have shut down this world almost completely. But I want you to remember something, folks. I want you to put this in your head. Remember in their first Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the Jewish people were also shut in with all kinds of plagues happening to them. Not just one, but nine had already happened and the tenth was coming. So that four words and an exclamation point lets me know that this is, is telling us that God is somehow near to us. When you get that fear, that hair standing on end, the feeling of, wow, wow, something's happened, that shows you that God is near you. And it's time for you to recognize his presence in your life. Jacob, when running from his mom and dad's house, trying to escape the horrible, angry hand of Esau, Landed at a place called Luz, a dry place, and went to sleep that night. 
and had a dream of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And when he woke up the next morning, he said, how dreadful is this place? In other words, he said, how fearful is this place? Surely the Lord was here and I knew it not. I'm here to tell you when angels appear, God's presence is very close by. But it was dark and the women were afraid and their hearts were breaking. It's a journey they hoped they would never have had to make. They walked to the tomb with heavy spirits and then they saw the angel waiting for them. And the angel said, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. And nothing in human history has been the same since that moment. Nothing. The joy of that moment is still reaching through time across nations and into human hearts. And there's people on hospital beds today that are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are people that are hurt and broken today because of family members that have passed. But they're going to celebrate today because there's not a day like this. If every believer around the world, folks, shouted hallelujah on Easter Sunday morning with all their might, we might create the greatest explosion of joy and happiness and praise this world has ever known and ever experienced Dr. Billy Graham said it so best. He said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. You know, John the Revelator was taken to, up to heaven in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he saw some things and he got brought into the middle of a praise service. And then chapter 4 and 5, he sees all that's happening in heaven. And then God shows him all, all, the, all the things that's going to happen between Revelation 6 and Revelation 18. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a terrible time. It's going to be all kinds, of, all kinds of evil happening in our world. But then in Revelation 19, it's almost like we break through the fog. We break through all the tribulation and all the problems and all the things that are going to happen and the scourges of life. And John writes in the first four verses of chapter 19 of Revelation, he writes four hallelujahs. Hallelujah. I want to read these to you today because the first hallelujah that he writes in Revelation 19 means salvation has come. Aren't you glad it's come today, folks? The second hallelujah he writes is that Babylon has fallen. I love that. The Lord's going to be triumphant in the end. He will win. The third hallelujah he writes is that all praise belongs to him. All praise. And the fourth hallelujah he writes is that he is sovereign. So today, why don't you stand up in your house and let's say these hallelujahs all over again. Everybody say hallelujah. Salvation has come. Clap your hands if salvation has come to your life. Say, hallelujah, Babylon has fallen. It will fall. God is for us, and if he's for us, who can be against us? Say, hallelujah, all praise belongs to him. And say, hallelujah, he is a sovereign God. Now, let me talk just a little bit here. I'm going to kind of get off track to get back on track. I'm going to take you on a little, little pilgrimage here. Jesus' resurrection on Sunday morning was, was kind of like an over-answer or an over-promise from Jesus. It's like, wow, he did this. He literally got up. He did it. It was an over-answer. It was almost like it was 
out of the ordinary, out of the, and it was, but out of the imagination of people. You know what I'm saying. Maybe that's why the disciples were not at the tomb. None of them were there. They just could not believe that his life was not over. It had been a good run, three and a half years, but they had seen him be captured in the garden. They had seen all the scourge at, at, at Pilate's hall. They had seen all the things that had happened at Caiaphas' place. And he, it, had, it had been a good run. He was a good shepherd. He was a great man. He did a lot of miracles. He loved kids. He spoke like no man ever had spoken. He had a kind heart. But I want to go way back to the Old Testament today, and I want, to, I want to give you something that's going to revolutionize you right now from the Old Testament. The book of Exodus chapter 34 verse 7 says, He would visit the iniquity of the Father upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I did generational curses here several years ago, and I spoke about them. And there's a lot of people that deal with those things in their life. But I want to declare to you today that generational curses can be whipped by the blood of Jesus Christ in the name of the Lord in your life. But the Bible said that he didn't come to judge the iniquity of the Father. He came to visit. Can I tell you I'm talking about a God <laughs> that can go into your world and visit the iniquity of the Father that has been placed on you and not only visit it, but since he is the great physician, he can take care of the iniquity that's in your heart on this resurrection morning. God comes to visit iniquities, not judge them. Don't ever forget that. Then I'm going to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. This is the flip side of that. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant, covenant, and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, I know that this song that has been written called The Blessing, I know that it's been written recently, and I'm not tagging it. I'm preaching something that I've been preaching a long, long time. But I want to declare something to you on this Easter resurrection morning. A thousand generations. How long is a generation? According to the book of Job, it's 40 years. So a thousand generations multiplied by 40 is 40,000 years. God will visit the iniquity of the father upon the children to the third and fourth generation for 100 to 120, 140 years. But he will bless and he will keep covenant of his mercy for a thousand generations on those that love him and keep his commandment. I think you ought to open your mouth in your house today and say, Lord, this house is going to love you the rest of our life, and we're going to keep your commandments, and we're going to walk in virtue, we're going to worship you in holiness, and we're going to live for you in righteousness, and we're going to celebrate you on this Easter Sunday, and we want to see that promise. Can I tell you, that promise was made a long time before Jesus was even born. So we still have 36,000 years of blessings upon us right now because if you're loving him and keeping his commandments, he will do that. Here's what I want to tell you. God does not over 
overpromise. That looks like a big overpromise there. But he does over answer prayers. If God ever promises something to you, he will provide it. But many times when we pray, we think that he is not able to answer our prayers. And so we say, Pastor, God has not answered my prayers. I can't celebrate him today. No, no, no. You can't celebrate him today. The Bible said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do all we ask. That's, the, that's, the, that's just the stripped down version of that scripture. That scripture's got a lot more words in it. And that's how Paul would have written it if Paul was doing the writing. But he was inspired of the Holy Spirit. And so he added some words. Watch this. Watch this over answer. Watch this over answer prayer God. Watch this. Watch this. He said, now unto him that is able to do all we ask. But before that, he says, able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can think or ask. Five, five great words of exaltation. Because God is a God who over answers all of our prayers. You need to celebrate that today. That's why he got up, because he over answers prayers. Let me proof text this with John 11. Jesus one day got word from Bethany that Lazarus was sick. They said, come pray for him that he will be healed. Jesus waited. He waited two more days. Then he told his disciples, let's go. Let's go back to Judea. And Thomas said, yeah, we might as well. Let's go with him so we can die with him. Because they knew that Jesus had problems in Judea with some people wanting to take him out. And Jesus said, he sleepeth. And one of them said, Lord, if he's asleep, let him sleep. And he said, no, Lazarus is dead. Let's go. Let's go raise him. And when he arrived at Bethany, Martha politely fussed at him. And Mary, when she got her, was kinder, yet she was still firm. And both of their statements were simply this. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus asked, where have you laid him? He told them, he said, listen to me. Listen to me. Your brother will rise again. And one of them said, Martha said, oh, I know he'll rise again in that day, but he's dead right now. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He stated who he was. See, if Jesus comes two days earlier to answer that prayer request, he just heals a sick man. If he comes on a Friday instead of a Sunday, if he comes two days later, he's going to raise a dead man to life. Here's what I'm telling you. There is a God that I'm preaching about on this Resurrection Sunday that over answers prayer. He may not have fixed your situation when it was sick in your home, but now that it may be dead in your house... This is Resurrection Sunday, and he will resurrect your family and your life and your future on this day. Give him praise for it. Give him praise for it. He is a God of over-answered prayer. You got to get that. He never does less. He does more than enough. Say it, more than enough. So Friday put the disciples down. Calvary, the cross beat down their faith. Only one of the 12 of the disciples were there, and it was John. He was with Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Calvary destroyed any confidence they had in the future. The disciples tomorrow was shattered. So none of them were at the tomb on that Sunday morning. Zero. Zero. Not a none of them. No one was there. But can I tell you, Jesus got up without an earthly audience. He had one angel that rolled the stone back. He got up because he said he would get up. And I can preach today without an audience in a building today because he got up. I can talk about him because he got up. And by the way, if you was in church with me right now, you would feel his presence. He is standing here with me saying, preach it to him, son. You're talking about a good subject today. I did get up for these people, and I will preach about him. Not only is he a God of over-answered prayer, but he is also the God of over-abundant giving. He gives over-abundantly. There's a scripture in Luke that's not on the screen. It says, give, and it'll be given to you. We use it for giving and offerings and stuff. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will he put into your bosom. Many places God says, try me, just try me and see, see if I want. But let me give you a final answer here before he went to the cross. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise it up. He didn't say a congregation would raise it up. He didn't say a church body would raise it up. He didn't say his disciples would raise it up. He said, I, I will raise it up. He said, I am going to get up on Resurrection Sunday. May I say this to you? He did that 2,100 years ago before today. He got up. And when he got up, he said, I'm going to bless you abundantly before you ever offer one praise in this generation. My blessings are going to be going before you. My favor is going to be walking before you. You know why? Because I'm not a history lesson. I'm not someone that's in the ground and not coming back. I got up 2,100 years ago, and I'm waiting on you to say hallelujah. I'm waiting on you on the backside to give me something back from the abundance of giving that I've already placed into your life. How can it be hard to live for a Savior like that? He is a Savior that abundantly gives more than we could ever imagine in our own life. I am blessed. I am blessed, many people say it. I do not serve or trust the Lord. You know why? You're the humanity he died for. He died for people like you. And you're blessed because he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do on the cross. And then he came up out of the grave and he arose victorious. And every generation that comes along gets to see him in their front view, not their rear view mirror. He's not something to look back at. He's something to look forward to because he is risen. And I want to say hallelujah today. And I want to remind everyone this is the third day. This is the third day. And it's not time to quit on the third day. The Emmaus is a road taken by men who were going to quit. And Jesus caught them on the third day and turned them around. And they saw who he really was. Listen to me. You can't stay in the doldrums 
on the third day. You can't have and embark this sadness in your life on the third day. You can't have your head tucked down and living in the mully grubs on the third day. This is a day because he's an overabundant giving God. This is a day to say, wow, I've got to catch up to him with my praise and my worship because he's leading me to a place that is unbelievable. Used to be an old youth camp song that we sang and it went something like this. My God is more than enough. He can supply all my needs. He's the El Shaddai. He always looks out for me. Jehovah Jireh. He is my God. <laughs> he's more than enough. Can I tell you, he's not only a God of overanswered prayer. He's a God of overabundant giving. James 5 said, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Listen to that verse. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Save the sick. Save the sick. Not heal the sick, save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed any sin, they will be forgiven him. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ's cross experience was for you to know him one day as your personal Savior. For you to know him one day as your Lord, your King, and the only one that you can trust in in this life completely. And so everything that he did on that cross was for salvation Oh, we talk about the stripes on his back. He was beaten for our healing. And we understand that with his stripes we're healed. But the purpose of the cross was salvation. The spear in his side produced blood and water. Because he wanted you to know that he died for your sins. And he resurrected one day for you to have victory over your own sins. I love this Savior. The resurrected, a God of overanswered prayer, a God of overabundant giving. And I, I close here with this beautiful story from Luke 5 or Mark 2, whichever one you want to read. Jesus is in Capernaum, and it was heard that he was in a house, and immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them, and they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried before men. And they could not come near him because of the crowd. So they uncovered the roof where he was. And they broke through and let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And watch this now in verse 5 of Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. This man speaks blasphemous. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great question. But Jesus let this world know very early in his ministry. He let this world know, I came to seek and to save lost humanity. That's what I came for. And so when they made all this ruckus to put this man down in front of him, he forgives his sins. And they fuss at him and say, you're not qualified to forgive his sins. But Jesus, when he perceived in his spirit that they reasoned with this within themselves, he said, 
Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? What is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Can I tell you, he's a God of overabundant giving, and here's how I know it. Because he gave salvation for us at the cross. That's what the cross was about, salvation. He gave us salvation. But, but he also healed the man whom he saved. Can I tell you, we're free. We're free today. Because not only did the resurrection bring our, our declaration of salvation, it brought our privilege of healing in the name that's above every name. Jesus is not only a savior of sinful people, he's a healer of what sin has done in your life. I claim him today. I worship him today. And we never saw anything they said like this. The God of overanswered prayer, the God of overabundant giving, he came to give you salvation and included in salvation is healing, physical, mental, spiritual, deliverance, past, all gone. That's what he came to do. See, I'm not talking history. I'm talking right now. There's not a problem. There's not a sickness. There's not a family dilemma. There's not a past failure. There's not a future fear. There's not a tumultuous present that can stop what the resurrection did in your life on Resurrection Sunday. So I smile today, and I laugh today, and I cry while I laugh. Jesus is alive. He's risen. He's no longer here. It's an empty tomb. He's out there with you, and he's running in front of you, and he so abundantly gives to you. <laughs> he's waiting on you to say hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, every few moments in your day. David said, I praise him seven times a day. You need to start praising the resurrected Savior more than ever. So that's why he rose up on resurrection morning. He's greater than you can imagine. He's more powerful than you could ever dream. The angel said, do not be afraid. Jesus says, do not be afraid. I close with this today. I thank you to be an apropos close today. Caiaphas was the high priest of the Jews from the tribe of Levi. And he was the official who took the lamb's life every year at Passover. He would slay the lamb. And he really was who was behind the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And in a book called the Archco Volumes, there's a letter that Caiaphas wrote to the rulers of the Jews concerning the death of Jesus. And while writing this letter on Resurrection Sunday, a presence walked into his inner office. And when he felt that presence, he writes, I fell as one that was dead. There was not life nor breath in me. Then I heard, he said, his voice. Not a voice, his voice. And he said, do not be afraid, Caiaphas. I am here to visit you and help you through this time in your life. Caiaphas said, he took me by the hand and he lifted me up. And when I saw him, I looked into the face of Jesus the Christ. 
And he told me I was a good man, but I had an evil heart. And if I would let him, he would fix my heart. And he said to me, you have slain your final lamb. He departed as quietly as he came. And I sat in awe for the next several hours, not able to move. And because of this visit from Jesus, he wrote, I will be resigning my office of high priest. Jonathan will serve in my place. And history bears it out. That's how it happened. You know what? You that know God and you that don't know God on this Easter that are visiting with us today, there's some things you need to resign right now and give it to Jesus. And if he walked into your room here on Resurrection Sunday, he'd say, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all right. I'm the God that will bring you peace. And on this Resurrection Sunday, love him and start keeping his commandments. You've got a thousand generations of blessing waiting on all your children and their children and their children and their children and their children. I love you all. I want you to raise your hand in your house right now and repeat after me, Jesus, on this resurrection day, I give my heart to you wholly. I will praise you completely. I will love you with an undivided heart. And I will follow after this over-answering prayer and this awesome, awesome giving God, this great giving God that you are. I will give my life to you because Pastor Rex has said that this is what I need to do. And if you're lost today, say, Dear Jesus, receive me into your kingdom. Forgive me of my sins and wash me with your blood. And I receive that in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, your past is gone. God has sent salvation to your home. You need to find a church. You need to come and join it and let, it, let yourself be water baptized and let the Holy Spirit start directing and guiding and living in you. I love you. It's been a unique Easter Sunday. But I've loved every moment of talking to you today. God bless. God bless. I got one more thing to share with you before I go. It goes something like this. It's from Numbers chapter 6. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel. And I will bless them. Case closed. Jesus lives. And he's in your life. He's in your home today. I love you all. God bless.